So if you refer to any tourism guides or books, magazines introducing this country, Jeju Island is often listed as a must-go place. An hour away from Seoul by plane, a bit further if you go other routes, but it's famous for beaches, volcanic mountains, shamanic shrines hidden here and there. This morning's person, Joey Rositano, is a photographer from the U.S. state of Tennessee who explores and documents these shrines in particular and now joins us on the line. Thank you very much for speaking with us. Thank you very much. Nice morning here in Jeju Island. So you're there right now enjoying the uh, the scene. Uh, but for four years you've been there visiting more than 100 shrines, taking more than yeah. 10,000 pictures, I understand. How did that enthusiasm begin? Well, it's actually, let's see, it's been uh, six years now uh, since I've started uh, photographing the shrines. And I think the uh, number of photographs has increased incrementally as well. Okay, so so that uh, four-year, 10,000-picture fact needs to be updated. I believe so, (laughs) (laughs) for better or worse. But but that's huge. Like, how did that journey begin six years ago? Uh, I think it... I've lived in Jeju Island for over a decade now, so I think it began as a sort of natural curiosity. I had heard a lot about shamanism on the island, and I'd heard a lot about the shamanic shrines, but it took me about five years before I actually started looking into it. I'd heard a lot of uh, rumors about it, and I've heard, uh, you know, some of my friends talk about it throughout the years, but I had never actually uh, seen shamanism in practice. So it sort of uh, developed out of that curiosity. Mm. And uh, yeah, once I started kind of documenting them uh, little by little, I was hooked. So you've managed to find shrines, even those that would be considered very difficult to locate for a local, Um, not on the map, in other words. Was that just by random chance or is that through talking to people and and being given tip-offs? That was, yeah, basically through developing a relationship with local people in the different villages. And little by little, I kind of, well, using existing maps and surveys of shrines uh, from historical records and things like that, I was able to find some of them. And then just through personal contact with uh, different people in the villages, different elders in the villages, I was able to kind of build rapport and, uh, you know, learn the myths and kind of learn the locations uh, through that method. What is the importance of these shrines to Jeju Island? Well, I, I think Jeju Island is sort of like, uh, it's kind of like one of the last living uh, pagan landscapes on Earth. Um, you know, when you hear about people doing the walkabout tours and stuff like that in Australia, it's because the native people there see their actual landscape as kind of like a, a, you know, a spiritual tablet, I guess. And it's the same on Jeju Island. I mean, uh, the elderly people here, they know, they kind of have a map of the island in their minds uh, that's, you know, the different regions are distinguished by the myths that are located there. And that's that's kind of a tradition that is disappearing. But people, you know, in their 70s and 80s, they still kind of view the island in that way. So are they based on geographical landmarks? Yeah, that's right. E- each each village has a number of shrines, several different shrines, and uh, they can be dedicated to several different gods. You know, the the famed women divers here, um, you know, in each village, they'll have a, uh, a shrine that's dedicated to the sea deities. 
But also inland, they'll have a shrine that's called a, a Bonhyang shrine. And that shrine is kind of dedicated to the ancestral gods of the village itself. And those ancestral god uh, shrines, they have a myth that is sung beneath the holy tree uh, by the shaman during, uh, you know, different days where they have uh, rituals and ceremonies. Those myths are known by people all over the island. So each of those myths kind of distinguishes one village from another and kind of gives a larger sense of identity to the, uh, to the locals. How connected are these gods, this shamanic tradition, with that of the mainland Korean peninsula? Uh, I think that the mainland has uh, a lot of uh, similar traditions to that, and I'm actually not that familiar. I just have a, a general knowledge of that type of thing. I haven't looked into it that much yet. I've read, I've read a, a little bit about you know the general practices, but in general, Jeju shamanism is more similar to Okinawa shamanism, mm. uh, probably just from you know historical influences, and it has a lot of influences from Southeast Asian practices as well. So it's quite different. The music is distinct and very different, and kind of the general attitude. Um, in mainland shamanism right now, you have kind of a, a spooky attitude, I guess, that's related to it because of ideas of like a shaman, shamanic possession and things like that. On Jeju, it's a lot more, um, I guess, uh, it's, it's very warm, and it's just kind of a traditional practice, and there's not a lot of the extreme elements, I guess, that you see associated with mainland shamanism. But when we think of its importance, Jeju's challenging history, which is obviously a challenging history across the peninsula too, uh, did, did shamanism serve an important role in, in maintaining that sense of community and getting through those hard times, especially in the 20th century? Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think that, uh, first of all, you know, it's it, on shamanism on jeju island is is a syncretic religion so it overlaps with buddhism and it overlaps with confucianism as well so whenever you have confucian rites in including like ancestral rites that are performed in the home in jeju the shamanic gods are also uh you know and a table of offering is also set out for them and it also in you know can be seen in the buddhist temples on jeju island so it goes deep through the society and it's uh it's kind of a custom that did you know hold them together and something that they have used to kind of maintain their unique identity and that that was certainly the case during the you know the the april 3rd uprising where you know so many people uh died on on jeju island yes. at the hands of the yeah of the police and national government. Your own story, as you've said, goes more than a decade in the area. Um, but you said in an interview with the local paper, the Jeju Sori, that stories of these shrines almost turned you from an atheist to a believer. Can you tell us what you meant by that? Yeah, I think this. Uh, anyone who's researched these shrines or researched uh, this religion, uh, especially the local researchers here, I mean, they're they're kind of a generation or two removed from it, but their parents and grandparents still practice shamanism. I think uh, I think anyone, you know, like us, myself included, the longer that you spend uh, studying the myths and kind of seeing how the function of the narrative of those myths helps people 
you know, maintain an identity, but it also helps them kind of in, in a sense of healing. Some of the local researchers actually call it story healing. And that's kind of the main point of Jeju shamanism is that, you know, for different hardships during one's life, there's a different story that the shamans can tell, which is actually an epic myth. And they can last up to two to three hours. And they're performed at shamanic shrines, but they're also performed in, in households on Jeju Island. And these myths kind of lead the listener through a story arc, very much like a hero's quest. And it, it's a very emotional experience, especially when it's mixed with kind of the, you know, the atmosphere of grief or some type of hardship, and also with the music that's played to accompany the storytelling. And that storytelling kind of works as, you know, healing through a psychological format. And I think that once you dive into that, you really see how that works, and you really see how these myths are kind of archetypal, and they actually, you know, resonate with Western culture as well. And Is there any particular story that resonates with you? Uh, on Jeju, I think, uh, you know, on Jeju Island, uh, the, there's a really strong female component to a, to a lot of the, you know, the mythic worship and whatnot. And I think that one of the stories that I really like is, uh, the goddess of fate. Uh, that would be like the goddess of kind of shamanic karmic fate. And her name is Kamenjang Agi. And she's, uh, really important because she kind of teaches the people of Jeju especially young women, that they can kind of create their own fate. So in the view of, uh, of Jeju shamanism, uh, you know, you kind of inherit uh, a karmic fate from your ancestors, but you can also create your own fate. And this uh, Jang Agi is the youngest of three daughters, and uh, she really is, she's growing up in kind of a harsh family situation. And she ends up... Uh, kind of uh, getting into a conflict conflict with her family, and she leaves the family's uh, home and sets out across Jeju Island uh, with this kind of iconic black cow that she's known by. And the deeper meaning of this story is is that, you know, when when worse comes to worse, somebody can kind of set out and, and start anew. So I think that's a, a very important story, and I think it's very important in an isolated situation. Yeah, well, it seems like it would be compelling for anyone, the idea of starting anew, but you also suggested this is something that may be losing its appeal among the younger generation. Do you see an end in sight, if not for the physical shrines themselves and for what they represent? Yeah, I think think there's a big struggle right now. I think that... uh, especially with the onset of the new tourism in Jeju. Um, there's been a lot of support for these myths and, and uh, starting to be for the shrines as well as like physical markers of these myths in the landscape. I think that, I think that there is a revitalization that's starting to occur. And a lot of the people who are the most interested are actually mainlanders who are, you know, coming to Jeju to, to start a new lifestyle of their own or, you know, coming here as kind of long-term visitors. But there's a lot of interest from those people. And then there's a couple active local groups of young people, too, who are doing exhibitions uh, about the myths or doing plays about the myths or actually trying to attend more rituals at shrines themselves in person. Well, thank you so much for sharing your 
enthusiasm uh, and your experience which is even more extensive than we imagined at uh, now well over 10,000 photos if anyone wants to check them out Spirits Jeju Islands Shamanic Shrines is is your book um, which has already been published so um, that will give people a taster thank you so much Joey Rositano Jeju based photographer for speaking with us today yeah thanks so much